you have your Bibles, you want to follow along, uh, and your phone is fine, as long as you're not playing doodle jump or something. Uh, we're in Mark, which we'll be in for quite some time. It's a little easier when you just go through the expository uh, verse by verse, because you know where you're going to be. Verse 9 is where we'll be starting. Uh, and as you, as we'll notice fairly quickly, we talked about this last week and kind of setting up Mark very quick, you're going to see the word here usually gets translated like in verse 10 immediately. I think it's in here four times in our little section here. It's a, it's a Greek word that means ethos, you know, right after that. He just keeps moving. Uh, this is always a, if you're someone who doesn't maybe like to read that much, Mark's a good gospel because it's quick and it's active and it's, it has a lot of uh, action to it. And, and it's concise. Uh, we're going to get... Uh, a couple things here at the beginning uh, of this uh, section that the other Gospels take chapters to describe. Uh, so it starts off with Jesus' baptism. Uh, only three verses uh, in those days. So these are the days, if you, last week we, we ended up with uh, Mark's kind of concise uh, introduction of John the Baptist and where he was where he was preaching and teaching and baptizing. You know, in verse 8, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Uh, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. That's his whole section on this. There's a lot more in other uh, 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 gospels, but we're going to focus just on this one. Uh, what you have here, why is Jesus doing this? You know, baptism for him was probably a little bit different than it is, but it does have one thing that's the same, it's obedience. You do it because you're obedient. Uh, recognizes the importance of, importance of repentance, you know, as he, he comes into the water symbolizing, even in Judaism, the washing away of sins. As we talked about last week, John's baptism was for repentance, but he said it wasn't complete yet. And well, why? Because we haven't introduced the one who's going to pay the price that the repentance will be effective by faith through his grace. So when we look at Jesus' baptism, we see that he does this, and we find this in other Gospels. He does it to, uh, to obey righteousness, he says, to do the right thing, and that's why we do it. In our church, again, our flavor of Christianity, we, we think the Bible teaches that baptism does not save you, the, the waters. But we do teach that it's very important to do. And I know this doesn't work. You know, it's Mother's Day. You know, I don't know. You get, we got some mothers that have some younger kids in here. I mean, sometimes you just got to say, you know, because I said so. You know, why do I have to not have my 14th cookie? Because I said so. And there are other reasons, and, and we can get into them deeper. But one of the reasons you should be baptized is because God said so. You know, and then we can talk about why. Obviously, if God says so, hopefully he's doing it for a good reason. Um, it does. It, it's an illustration of your coming into the family of God and, and truly believing. But this is, you see, what we see here is the Trinity shows up very quick. You know, we in the E-Free Churches, again, what stands written? Why, why are we Trinitarian? You can read our statement of faith. We believe that God is one God, one, 
in three persons, or three sinners of consciousness, if you one nature, three sinners of consciousness, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You see all three here. Uh, you see, obviously, the Son, who we celebrated at Christmas, who took on flesh and dwelt among us, uh, which was different. The Father did not take on flesh, and the Spirit did not take on flesh. I suppose they could have, they just didn't. Uh, and so the Son comes, takes on flesh. We see, obviously, Jesus here. But you also see the Spirit descending, coming down. On, in, 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 and obviously, there's an interaction there that they're working together. Uh, and then you have a voice from heaven. Now, we don't know what voice this is, if this is just James Earl Jones doing voiceover work. Or is this, well, it's the Father. We get that in Luke, and we get that also in Matthew. So you have the Father, and the Father says that you are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. I remember when as a young Christian, I'm like, we really hadn't done anything yet. What are you pleased for? It's like, you know, I kind of thought, well, you got the kid gets out there, and you get to mow the lawn for the first time. And I tell you, kids, it's really fun. And then the father comes out and says, you know, looks at the lawn, nothing's been done, haven't even got the thing started yet. Now, I'm really pleased with you. Well, that kind of seems, we've we got to mow the lawn first, then we'll see if I'm pleased. But this why, well, why is he pleased? Well, Jesus, we know from Luke's gospel, is around 30 years old when this starts. I think he's pleased with his preparation. He's ready. This is, Jesus comes from Nazareth. He's, this, it's time to start my ministry. Uh, it took 30 years, you know, of, of growing up, of, of learning. We don't know a lot about what happened there. We get one small account when he was 12 years old in the Gospel of Luke. You notice Mark doesn't mention it. Mark doesn't even mention his birth. It's just implied. But you see, he's been obedient. He, he's prepared. And he's ready. I'm well pleased. You're, you're, you're ready to go into the, maybe like a graduation. That's kind of a, you know, we're getting those around too. You know, we haven't done anything yet. Did you get paid yet? <laughs> but you, you're well pleased. Why? Because you're preparing. You know, it's the same kind of thing here. And we know this from inside and outside evidence of this time period that there was a lot of messianic expectations. They were looking for a Messiah. A lot of people were. It was in the water, as they say. But only we get this voice, you are my son. And it even says that in verse 1. We don't, you know, what we're doing, trying to do as we go through Mark, because remember, this is one of the things Mark does is it kind of takes the disciples and shows how they get to know Jesus better. He starts as kind of a teacher or a rabbi, and then eventually they start realizing that there's something more here. He's a prophet of some sort. And then eventually, oh, he's a Messiah. And then what kind of a Messiah? And then he's son of God, and then he's... Son of God actually means deity, and then there's all the and so, but it takes them time. And we have to be careful if you're a seeker or if you're a new believer, don't think you have to know everything the first time you come. Uh, this you now have an eternally long process, which is fun, uh, to get to know God better. You're never going to exhaust that, but we want to know what's revealed. So we get this. We get to be the fly. We get this extra info. And we don't know who heard this voice. We know Jesus heard it. We think maybe John did because one other gospel, but we don't know if anybody else heard it. Uh, but here we have, again, 
why do we believe Jesus is who he says he was is because the Spirit helps us understand that through the Word. And again, why are we Trinitarian? And I think we've, we've done this before, but I always like to do this. If somebody, well, why do you believe in the Trinity? Because it is hard. I mean, it's, I don't know if you knew that, but if you ever give, if you ever give an illustration for the, the Trinity, you're a heretic. Not that you gave it, but the illustration will always break down because this is God. They're okay. You can give them. But why do we believe this, that God is one nature, one, nat one person, or excuse me, three persons in one, one nature, one God? Why do we believe that? Because it's the best explanation for what the Bible reveals. That's, if, we, if it wasn't, we wouldn't believe it. And, and being able to do and this is just one of those texts that we get. And again, if you haven't seen it yet, the Spirit immediately, boom, 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 this is quick. Um, this might be, you know, these first uh, bits, which take a long time probably, you can get this in a 20-minute TV show. I mean, this is pretty fast. The Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. Well, why? And he was in the wilderness 40 days, there's that number, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, we find out the angels don't do that till the end, uh, but again, Mark, quick, immediately. But he's driven by the Spirit to go get tempted. You know, we kind of get messed up by the word temptation. You know, we, in the, we'll get uh, a rendition of the Lord's Prayer here too, but the Lord's Prayer, you know, lead us not into temptation. You know, that's the way it is in the old translation. I think it, you know, what does it mean, do not lead us into temptation? It's one of those problems we stop too quick. <laughs> it's like me saying, well, I'm going to go to, and then, okay, now, now we know everything. Well, no, I haven't told you where yet. And same thing here, lead us not to, but that we will be able to be delivered from the evil. It's, it's, it's kind of coming off of this. Who drives him into the wilderness? Spirit. To do what? To get tempted. You know, there's a verse that says God doesn't tempt anyone. It, in context, that means God doesn't tempt anyone to sin. Satan does that, or we do it to ourselves. But he may test you. And that this, this term can mean trial, test, examine. We see Jesus being driven so he can get tested pretty much by Satan. Now, how did that work? You're going to have to read another gospel to find that out. You know? Both Matthew 4 and Luke 4 go into depth. Mark gives us one sentence. You know, good old Mark. Uh, the cliff notes in some ways, at least at the beginning. Uh, but in your own lives, you'll go, you'll go through tests sometimes. You know, are tested, it says in, in, in James chapter 1. Count it all joy when you come with trials and tests of many kinds. Because the testing will help you with endurance, and the endurance will help you with your faith. And if, I, I don't like thinking it this way, not because it's not true, just because I'm, I don't like it uh, emotionally. It's like... God actually sometimes tests us to make us stronger. Um, there's days I don't like that. Uh, and there's a few days maybe you do. Uh, it depends on uh, 
what that goes. But again, God will never test you or tempt you to sin, but he might allow you to go through a time when you have to focus on him and get through the fire, you know. You know, Psalm 23, 4, we know that. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that'd be a trial, even a test. You know, I still fear no evil. You are with me. That's the key, isn't it? You know, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, you know. Through the valley of the shadow of death, not over it and back. You know, that's out there. If you believe in everything, all the problems in your life will go away. I do not know what world these people live in. We don't ever seek this stuff, but it comes. And sometimes as we look back, we say, you know what? I'm stronger because of that. I, I would wish I could get stronger without it. I wish I could, you know, be able to bench press 400 pounds without lifting weights. But it doesn't work that way. You know, we had that, uh, you know, in the weight room. It's like, no pain, no gain. You got to say it that way, too. You can't say no pain, no gain. You got to say no pain, no gain, because that's that's cool. Didn't know if you knew that, but that's really cool. But think about this: He goes to be tested, to tempt, be tempted by Satan, and obviously Jesus is truly human and truly divine. So we have to be a little careful of superimposing ourselves here. But He does give us a lot of uh, the Spirit gives us what He's giving here. You want? I wonder: Did the Spirit leave? He drove him into the desert. Wilderness. I don't know. I don't think he left. I think, you know, and that's good for us too. There's a temptation that comes. Satan comes. Satan is a word that is a it's a Hebrew word that just gets kind of put into Greek and then we put it in English. Just the sounds, Satan. Uh, it just means adversary. Adversary against God. He's against God. And he tries to, and he's subtle. You know, you think about the temptations that came, you know. You hungry? How about those stones into bread? I mean, what's the big deal? You know, it's just these subtle things. Or you probably remember this temptation in the Bible. Did God really say you're not supposed to eat of this tree? It's kind of subtle, isn't it? Yeah, that's usually the hard part, isn't it? We have this in today, you know, there's, there's, we again, what stands written, what is true, what is good doctrine, what is bad doctrine, how are we supposed to act, who are we supposed to please, who are we supposed to honor? We have all those things, but yet we can, you know, if you really love me, you'll accept my lifestyle. You get that, don't you? And so if you don't, guess what? You don't love them, at least that's what they think. But what's the first commandment, to love who? this thing on? God, thank you. <laughs> to love God. That's number one. If you don't do that, the rest of it doesn't matter. And that is easy. And if Jesus says it clearly in John, if you love me, keep my commandments. But it's just, this is the big battle, right? Satan versus Jesus, you know? Superman versus Aquaman, or what? I don't know. It's just this big power stuff going on here. But to think about it, it's not Satan versus Jesus. It's Satan versus Jesus. Jesus is God. Satan is not. I don't even know if Satan completely knows who Jesus is right here. Because if you really knew who Jesus was, you'd think it'd be kind of stupid to try to tempt him. But for us, there, think about that. God will never test you or tempt you to do evil. 
but he might allow you to be tested for a, a morally sufficient reason to maybe get closer to him in your life. And then he starts to begin his ministry. Now, after John was arrested, so we're 14 verses in and John's already arrested. I mean, this is, this is quick. Jesus came into Galilee, so he's still in the north there, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. This is kind of a summary of what the gospel is, what the euagelion is, the, the good news. The time is fulfilled. That's, we kind of missed that. The time, what time? All time. This is, what the, this is what the world's been waiting for. Certainly what the Jewish people have been waiting for. We're going to find out this is the center of everything. The cross stands at the center of all history. At least that's what Jesus thought. That's what we teach. God's final plan is being revealed now. You know, Jesus says it in, in Luke. He said, many people have desired to see what you see. He says that to his, his closest followers, you know, because he's here. God is now here. Emmanuel, we do that during Christmas. Hebrews 1 kind of starts this out. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. It gives a, obviously it says Jesus is creator there, and we get that in John 1, 2. Um, but I liked in these last days, well, when was Hebrews written? We think in the mid-50s A.D. These last, they're in, what? constitutes a last day in this context, the cross on. What does it mean? What does last days mean? You don't need more revelation. It's out there. People say, well, you need this new book or you need this new prophet or you need, what is insufficient in what we have? I mean, we're only in verse 14 and you guys probably forgot half of it, right? There's a lot of good stuff in here already. We don't need more information. We just need to know it more, and it's living and active. You know, there may be verses we're hitting today that might hit your heart in ways it wouldn't have last week. Maybe something else would hit you because it's living and active. It's the Holy Spirit, God breathed. So we're in the last, somebody say, are you in the last days? I'm like, yeah, we have been for quite a while. We're coming up on 2,000 years of last days. That's what that term means. Now, there are some times when it talks about farther last, but this is what in this context, the cross has, is spoken. And, and the resurrection and the ascension, and we have what we need. That's something to ask yourself when you're asking, people are saying God's speaking to them, I'm, God can do what he wants. But if he speaks to somebody something different than is hidden here, doesn't that make this insufficient? And that's saying, we say it's sufficient. It's all that we need for faith and practice. And show of hands, who has it memorized? Yeah, we got work to do, you know, in a good way. It's how we get to know God. This is cool. This is good stuff. You know, and, and I, I, I've said this before. If you don't have the daily would be great. Just read a verse. In fact, if you just read a word, I'd be happy. Something. That can't take you that long. Now, there you go. You're done. Now, it's going to take you a while to get through. But, again, just don't worry about 
quantity. If you're one of those Bible in a year person, great. I'm always done by mid-January. I'm like, I can't keep up. I'm so far behind now. I get bogged down in the details. I did the Bible in a year literally January 1st. I was too far behind. I just quit. So. But being in it, it'll, it'll, however you want. There's, you know, like, there's, you're wired different than everybody else. Find a way to do it. If you want help with that, uh, let us know. But he says the kingdom is, we forget, what is a kingdom? A rule. A kingdom, we think of, you know, princes and kings. And didn't the king Charles, thank you, didn't he just get coronated? That's what we kind of think of as the kingdom, and they got the horses and all that. And that's neat, but the kingdom just means the rule of God. Who's ruling in, in, in your heart? Who's ruling in your world? It's at hand. It's, it's, it's here. It's, sometimes he says near, sometimes he says here, yes. It's, it's here because Jesus is here. If you want to look for the kingdom of God, look for Jesus, and you found it. And if you want to find heaven, find God, and you'll find heaven. <laughs> it's really not that hard, is it? This kingdom is being revealed in Jesus. We've, we've seen aspects of it through the covenants of the Old Testament. So this is the main message. This is what he's trying to get to us, that God's plan of redemption and reconciliation given in types and shadows in the Old Testament, we, and that doesn't mean it's bad, it just means it's not complete, becomes a fulfilled reality in the life teaching, crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. That's what he's talking about. That's what we proclaim. That's what Mark's trying to get out to us. Uh, it really isn't that hard, is it, when you think about it? You know, and why do you believe? What do you, it's like the same, you know, Jesus. You know, it's really not that hard. Now, it might be hard to learn, and it might be hard to do, but it's not hard to get the main concept. He's not going to lead you astray, and that's what you have to remember. So what he's saying is you can e be eternally part of God's kingdom through him. And we're going to find out later as we go through this gospel that only through him, and that's what gets him in trouble. If you come as a Messiah and say, you know, if you all want to follow me, that's good. I'm, I'm okay with that. You don't have to. There are many other ways. He doesn't say that, does he? That got him in trouble. They didn't kill him because he was a nice guy, although it probably was. They killed him because he stood for something that they didn't like. And they thought, he thought he was God and the one that ushers in the kingdom, and they disagreed. And that's the same today. You know, if you ask somebody, it comes down, well, what do you think of Jesus? Who do you, th who do you say that I am? We'll get to that later. So how do you be part of God's kingdom? Well, he tells us. What's the first thing that every prophet always says? Repent. Repent. That's what prophet, that's, that's the definition of a prophet right there. Whether they tell you future things or not is, is just tacking it on. He, they will tell you future things. They'll tell you what happens if you don't and what happens if you do. <laughs> that is, is sure. So repent. And remember, repent does not mean, oh, I'm sorry. Maybe a little bit of that. Repent means to change your mind. That's what that word means in the definition of the Greek word is change your mind. It's not like, well, I was going to go to church, but I eh, maybe I won't today. That's not repent. It's a complete change of mind. It's Romans 12 stuff. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Something's changing. It's not just you. There is a, a, an intellectual ascent, but there's something happened by the Spirit, too. John calls that born-againing, you know, that repent. That's the start of it. You know, we talked about that last time. 
that's kind of the way the conversion is in Mark. There's, a, there's an insight. Something's here. Something different. Something that's touching my soul. And then there's a turning. That's the repenting part. And then there's a transformation. And that's what, how do you get that? Believe, faith, true faith. So you change your mind, you change your view of yourself, and you change the way sin attacks you and beats you down and you become a servant to it. Romans 3, 23 and 24, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Great verse, isn't it? 323. Remember that one. That's not that hard. We can remember that, right? All have sinned and fall short of glory. I got it, at least for now. All have sinned. That's, it's so cool because if people say, well, we're all pretty good. Well, yeah, you might be pretty good, but you're not good enough. The problem in a lot of people's lives, they think they're good enough, so they don't think there's a problem, so they don't look for a solution. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is Christ. You know, that, that's a really good verses to know. And that's what Jesus is getting at here, repent and believe. So believe, what's that mean? To trust. We're not talking about when, he, when Jesus says even the demons believe and shudder. They believe, they know he exists. Lots of people think Jesus exists. But do you have confidence in him? Do you have confidence in his words, the good news that the kingdom is here? So put another way, trust in Jesus, not the world or yourself. What he's trying to get. So have faith. And what's our active definition we're using in our church? And I got a little parenthetical comment there in the middle, but an active, this isn't passive, reasoned trust based on clear evidence. We're reading said evidence. Well, what is it? The scriptures, one thing, and the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Somebody might ask you today on Mother's Day, it's like, why do you believe? And you can give them, I can give them lots of reasons, but one of the reasons I believe is, is I, just, just, I just know it. Well, it's in here. You're weird. Yep. I don't know. It's just, you're not going to convince me otherwise. But it's not only that or only the word. It's both. They work together. It's kind of cool. Who's the author of this stuff anyway? Well, the Holy Spirit authored it. You know, what, a, what a, it's almost like God knew what he was doing here. He gets us the word that we have objective evidence. And then each one who really believes has that subjective witness of the whole. It's really cool gives us everything we need. So that's what faith we have shown in obedience. That's how you show your faith. That's not how you get saved, but that's what you look like when you are. And even when you mess up, what do you do? Yeah, you go back to the cross. You approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that our sins will be forgiven. Now, also notice, too, we're getting that, you know, that teacher, then prophet, then messiah, you see that Messiah, you know what that word means, anointed. That's what's come, happened with that Holy Spirit. It's, it's, it's an illustration of who he really is. And then we get son of God here too. So we're starting to, as readers, we're starting to understand. These guys are just getting, and then we get, we get some guys. It's always nice to get some guys. Verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, most likely on the west side there, he saw Simon and Andrew the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately, there it is again, they left their nets and followed him. 
And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So we find out they have hired servants. So now we know from the other gospels that this wasn't the first time he's met these guys. That's, that's omitted here. Uh, so when they finally gave in, there were some other things that happened before they finally said, yeah, I think this, because we get that idea that we just need to drop it. And you can do that if you want, but this isn't even the way those guys did it. And they were specifically called into full-time ministry which is weird when it comes, rabbis don't do this normally. Um, do I need to explain the theological term weird? You all got all that, everybody got that? Most of the time, you would seek the rabbi out. And we, we do get a, a little bit of that. But most of this is Jesus is seeking them out. It's, it's, a, it's a rabbi reversal. He does it differently. But these are specific calls, and they're rare in the Bible. When you read the red letters up before, the time is fulfilled in the kingdom of God, repent and believe the gospel, that's what we call a general call. That's a general call for everyone. Follow me. Everybody gets that. Specific calls are, are rare in the Bible. We don't see it that often. And what happens in our, you see this especially in ministry, Sometimes I remember when I first was being interviewed, you know, and are you, you know, called to ministry? And I, I actually asked more about that. And once they told me what they meant, I'm like, well, yeah, I get it. But I'm like, am I, was there supposed to be an angelic visitation or something? Or was I supposed to hear, a, you know, you are called? Well, that happens in the Bible. But is that what they were looking for? Because I didn't have that. And we do that sometimes. Are you called to a particular uh, uh, school to go to, you know, to go to college? Are you called to a particular vocation? Are you called to a particular marriage? Are you called? To, we do that. And think it wasn't that frequent that people got called. Do you think, did John and James and Peter and Andrew, were they confused on whether or not they were called? Did they like, me? You know, it wasn't, it's not ambiguous, is it? He's like, you, here. You know, and that can happen in the Bible. It can happen today, but it's not the norm. And that's true in full-time ministry or anything. Your vocation. Most followers of Jesus will choose their vocation based on wisdom, your gifts. How's God wired you? If you don't like numbers, I wouldn't go into the vocation of accountant. You might not be very wise. And you might want to be an MBA center, but if you're 5'4", I wouldn't go for it. You know, again, whatever, and God can call, and he does. I, I, we, we hear that. I'm, we've got people we support that are in the world that have felt a good. But what if he doesn't? Well, use wisdom. Uh, you, what are your gifts? What are your talents? What are your desires? What are your passions? What are the circumstances? What are your goals? I tell you, that'll make it much easier because God wants you to use some. Ask other people, you know. We got graduates in our church, you know, wh where do you want to go? What do you want to do? And stop waiting for an angelic visitation. If, if you screwed it up, maybe he'll give you one. I don't know. Where can you serve Christ best? How has he wired you? What gives you joy? I think maybe that's the way. He can certainly still explicitly call someone to any vocation, but experience in the Bible shows us that this is not the norm. These guys got it. Good for them. And even them took three years to figure it out.
So Mark is moving through these events and teachings, and he's going quickly. We see that. It's a gospel of action. Uh, there's a lot of details left out. So this is rhetorical, but, you know, we're free. You can say if you... Did Mark know there were the others would fill in the gaps? That's a good question, isn't it? Did he know that Matthew was going to write a gospel? You know Luke was going to write one. Did you know that John was going to write I'm not sure, but I think so. <laughs> I don't know, you know, you don't, did they all sat down and you had, you know, Mark, Matthew, Luke, John, and they're like, well, what are you putting in there? What'd you get for number three? You know, that type of stuff. Yeah. I, I don't know if it worked quite that way. Uh, what we knew, know that the primary author, the Holy Spirit, understood there's going to be four. Four accounts, not just one. And so I think that answer, why didn't he put more in? Well, because it's somewhere else. It's sufficient for you. So as we see this, for 30 years, Jesus is preparing his main ministry. And he must have done a pretty good job of it because the Father says he's well-pleased. He's prepared. He's ready. It's time. He acknowledges John's importance, John the, John the Baptist coming in. And then he makes these, these three last preparations before he really gets into it. He gets baptized to show uh, well, probably Trinitarian, but this is the one that I've anointed. This is obedient. He gets tested. For 40 days, he passes. He didn't know. He got an A. And he calls his first close followers. He's getting ready. And now the most important ministry in the history of the world is going to come in full force. And I hope you're as excited as I am to get into it each week and get to know God better through Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we know that this gospel is fast and, and uh, gives us uh, the short snippets in many places, but what a wonderful revelation of uh, your son shows us the main things. Uh, each one of us can get to know you better through it. We thank you for your revelation uh, that uh, so objectively shows the truth of, of what you've revealed and for your spirit that touches each one that calls you, Father, that has been transformed uh, from a sinner to a saint, someone who you see as blameless, that each one of us who have made that transition have your spirit to be with us to help us live a life, overcome temptation, and know you better through your word. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.